0: Well, uh, we want to start going through some of these questions and uh, answer the ones we can. Uh, I don't claim to have all the answers, but I've got a book that does. Amen. Here's, uh, here's a question that, and let me, uh, let me preface this, uh, these by saying this. Um, in a, in a wide majority of cases, I don't know how big the majority is, but it's, it's certainly the majority. You can have situations where people hear the word where they're listening to tapes, where they're in healing services or whatever the case might be. They're feeding on the word. But for some reason, there's not a connection made. In most of those cases, now that's not with everybody, but in the ones where that is the case, most of those situations are caused by a question that they need an answer to. I'll draw your attention to uh, to Brother Hagin's testimony where he was he had come to the realization that the woman with the issue of blood, uh, her faith had made her whole. The Lord spoke to him. About your faith can make you whole and so forth, and uh, and he wasn't getting any results, and uh, and and he was he was sinking physically, and as a result he um, uh, he said to the Lord he just spoke out loud to the Lord one night when he was by himself in his room and he said you know Lord if uh, if you came down here and told me I see that the issue is faith Mark eleven twenty three I I see that I understand that's the answer for me he said now if you came down here and appeared in the flesh. And said, Kenneth Hagan, your problem is you don't believe. He said, with all respect and kindness, Lord, I'd have to say you're a liar. I do believe. Now, as soon as he said that, the Lord spoke to him. The Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and said, you do believe all right as far as you know. He said that's the first revelation he ever got about, about, uh, about faith. And he said, faith is based on knowledge. He said, you do believe as far as you know. Well, that told him something else. That told him that there was something that he didn't know that was the reason why what he thought he was doing to be sufficient wasn't making connection. Well, the Lord had to bring that knowledge to him. That's what I'm talking about. That's the reason we do these questions and answers from time to time. Our our purpose is not just to take up time and, and you know, I didn't have a chance to study today, so we'll do questions and answers. That's That's never the reason why we do these. I do these as I feel impressed of the Spirit to do them. And the reason that we do them, as far as I'm concerned, what I believe for out of these is to answer people's questions so that they can receive. In other words, to bring them knowledge of the Word of God that can answer the questions that they have, whether they're their own questions, whether they're questions the devil has put in their mind, whatever the case, doesn't matter to me. A question will still, an unanswered question will still keep you from receiving from God because faith is based on knowledge. Without the knowledge of God's will, without being convinced... In every aspect that healing belongs to you, you're never going to receive. So that's why we do these questions and answers. It's not just uh, just an extra service. It's designed and we do them periodically for the purpose of giving people the answers that they need, the answers to the questions that they need so that they can receive from God. Amen. All right. Here's one. Did the finished work of Jesus redeem us from a healthy lifestyle? For example, can we eat unhealthy and still walk in divine health or believe for healing? Turn with me over to, um, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse uh, 25. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 25. Paul's writing to the Philippian church. Philippi is the chief city of Macedonia. We have a record of what happened in Philippi in Acts chapter 16 when he was thrown in jail and and, uh, um, and God delivered him. It, he's writing back to the church and he says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, and fellow soldier and your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. Now, this word messenger is also the word apostle. So he says that Epaphroditus is an apostle. Now, the word apostle is used in the New Testament to mean a sent one. There's only two ways you can be sent. You can either be sent with a message or you can be sent to certain people. Two ways you can be a sent one, either to a certain people, certain place, in other words, to minister, or with a certain message. Smith Wigglesworth Wigglesworth was called the apostle of faith because faith was his message. He had a specific message he was sent. His ministry was to be sent with a special message of faith and to demonstrate it by the power of the Holy Ghost. Notice Epaphroditus is an apostle. Now, right there, that should cause some people to think, well, he's got it made. Because most people think apostles are the top of the list. God has set some in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So apostles, they're the big cheese. They're the the top. That's what everybody wants to be. Well, that's not the way that it works. God doesn't have a rank like that. It just identifies five of the ministry gifts, literally four of the ministry gifts, because Paul coined a new word, pastor, teacher. There must be there. There was intended by the Holy Ghost to be a connection between pastoring and teaching of such degree that you can't pastor without teaching. Now, that doesn't mean every pastor has to be a teacher, but if he's not, he better get somebody in that can teach. Because otherwise, how can you feed the sheep? But Epaphroditus is part of Paul's company, and he's an apostle. He's sent just as much as Paul is. Now, that doesn't mean he has the same message as Paul, although he has learned Paul's message. But Paul got it firsthand from the Lord, revelation from the Lord. Epaphroditus got it through Paul's teaching. So he said, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in in labor and fellow soldier and your messenger or your apostle. In other words, he's an apostle to Philippi. He's not an apostle to everywhere or everybody. He's an apostle to Philippi. And he that ministered to my wants. In other words, he says, he works with me in the ministry and he helps take care of me along with being sent to you. Now, apparently being sent to them didn't mean he lived there all the time because he traveled with Paul. But notice it says about this, uh, this apostle for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. Now, that blows some people's theology right there. How could an apostle, part of Paul's company, be sick? Well, let's keep reading and see. For indeed, he was sick nigh unto death. Nigh means pretty close to death. He almost died, in other words. He was so sick that he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. Here's the reason that he was almost dead. Here's the reason that he got so sick that he almost died. Because for the work of Christ, he was nearer unto death, not regarding his life. One translation says, having recklessly exposed his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Paul is very simply saying, you folks didn't do for me what you should have done. And as a result, he had to make up the difference. He worked himself so hard that he almost worked himself to death. Now, folks, I got to tell you, one common way of thinking on this thing, is not the way that I think, but I understand that people would be quick to think something like this. How in the world Could somebody doing the work of God, working in Paul's ministry or working side by side with Paul in the power of the Holy Ghost with the revelation of God that a whole world is going to be judged by? How could somebody like that work himself to death or almost to death when he's working for God? Well, the answer is very simple. You've got a mortal body and if you don't take care of it, it'll run out on you. Now, the question is, can you eat an unhealthy lifestyle or have an unhealthy lifestyle, eat anything you want to? And still walk in divine health. I'll tell you a story. A story that Brother Hagin told. He said back in the healing revival there was a certain man that... Um, um, well, I might as well tell you who it is. He's been dead for a long time. His name was Jack Coe. Now, if you want to do some research, you'll find out that Jack Coe had some of the most tremendous, mind-boggling miracles of all the healing revival evangelists. He had a a, a tent that was... He built a tent that was bigger than Oral Roberts' tent, just so he could say he had the biggest tent. He was that kind of guy. He was a man in his 30s when the healing revival began, early 30s when the healing revival began. And as a result, man, I mean, he was just, he was a, uh, well, from the things that I've read, I've seen one video clip of of the things that he did. He had what I call daredevil faith. I, I don't recommend that. Because he'd jump out there, and, and it worked for him in most cases because of what he was called to do. But I mean, he would just do crazy things. Crazy things. He reached up and stripped off a, 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 a growth, a tumor off somebody's face. And, and this thing, when he ripped it off, she screamed for bloody murder. And this woman, all of a sudden, I mean, he literally ripped this thing off her face. And her face started bleeding like crazy. And it looked to all appearances, Like, he has done the wrong thing here. He hasn't helped. He's hurt. And all of a sudden, as fast as you could snap your fingers, new skin grew over that thing. Now, I don't know too many people who want to sign up for that kind of healing ministry. I'm okay with stripping something off, but let's avoid the screaming in the blood. You know? That's the kind of guy this guy was. I mean, he would do anything. He He would just... Just the, the wildest of all of them, as he was described. Well, um, he went along, had great success, great crowds, big crowds, some of the biggest crowds of the, of the healing revival, and, uh, and Brother Hagen spoke to him, and said, you go tell him. Here's a man, he's, by that time, he's probably 35, 37, maybe years of age, something like that. He said, you go tell him, he's not gonna live much longer. Well, you wouldn't expect a guy at 37 years of age to be looking toward dying, but he said, you go tell him that he's going to live, not going to live very much longer unless he judges himself on three things. Judges himself on pride, judges himself on money, and judges himself on diet. Brother Hagan said about this guy, he said he was as big as a barn and ate like a, ho- a horse. And he was. All the pictures, I mean, he just, every picture gets bigger and bigger and bigger. He just couldn't tell himself no. He just had that kind of addictive personality where he just wouldn't discipline himself in any regard. Well, he was very competitive spiritually. That's why he built the biggest gospel tent. He was always trying to have a bigger testimony than the last guy. He was trying to be the big cheese of the whole deal. And he doesn't judge himself. So at age 39, he died right at the height of his ministry with signs and wonders and miracles and all kinds of things taking place all around him. Now, it, it stirred up a lot of people, as you could well understand, and and caused a lot of people to stumble. Because he was the guy for so many people. But see, folks, you can't get by by abusing your body and you can't get by on character issues. Brother Hagen made this statement. He said, I know for a fact from having talked to these men, he said there were a lot of guys in the healing revival that thought that they got a pass from God on the way that they lived because of the way God used them in miracles. And folks, nobody gets a pass, at least not forever. You might get by on some things for a while, but not forever. I, I, this is my personal opinion. I say this by permission and not by commandment of the Lord. But I've come to realize how important it is in these last days to try to take care of yourself. Because I, I was indestructible. Just totally indestructible. All my life growing up, never had any, any sickness, had a couple of athletic injuries and stuff like that. But boy, when my body started wearing out in some ways and started changing, I, I made some adjustments. I've come to realize it is important what I eat and how I eat and how I take care of things and getting the right kind of sleep and and things like that. I don't go to the office anymore much. And I did that because I talked it over the, with the Lord. I used to go to the office every almost every day of the week, six days a week anyway, most of the time. I'd go to the office or many times, many weeks anyway, maybe not everyone, but many weeks. I'd go to the office and stay there and felt like I just had to be there no matter what in case something came up and stuff like that. Well, I was wearing myself thin. I feel so much better now. I don't go to the office hardly at all. If anybody needs me, they know how to get a hold of me. I'm taking better care of myself, and it's paying off. I believe you need to take care of yourself. For me, to believe God for divine health means I take care of myself. I expect God to do his part by the blood of Jesus, but he expects me to do my part too. Now, some people, bless their hearts, they're going to take take this, and they're going to say, well, that's not much faith. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do and believe God for the results. Well, okay. Let's mark it down and see which one of us makes it longer. Folks, God gave you a body to take care of. You better take care of it. Amen. Okay. Question number two. By the way, I'm, uh, I'm kind of toying with the idea. I, um, uh, I got a hold of a, of a, well, I say I got a hold of a pastor friend of mine turned me on to a doctor that, um, uh, that helped him adjust his diet. And, uh, the adjustments that he made took him from stage four cancer where the doctor said they had done all they could to, to perfect health. He was believing God, but his, but the, the things that he did, the changes he made and the way that he ate and so forth made a big difference. Well, he knew some things that, uh, or became aware of some things that, that I was believing God for and dealing with. And so he kind of put me in touch with the doctor that, uh, it wasn't the doctor that he went to, but it was, uh, it was a doctor that works hand in hand with this other guy. And, uh, And he's the one that helped me make some adjustments and make some changes. I I said something in one service, I don't know, it's been months ago now, but he's the guy I went to and he took a live screen of my blood and he said, the problem is your blood's dead. And I said, well, I don't know what that means, but that can't be good, you know. Well, I went to him for a couple of months and he straightened things out and he said, said, Mike, that's as good as it gets. He said, you don't need to come see me anymore. You've made the changes that you need to make and now look at the difference. And it was a marked difference. I've been thinking about having that guy come to the church. Not, not during a service. I, I wouldn't have him preach during a service or anything like that. But I've been thinking about having him come maybe a Saturday morning or an off night of the week or something like that. If, uh, uh, would that be something that somebody would be interested in? Okay. Well, we, we may pursue that then. Okay. Question number two. Can people lose their healing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll tell you another run of Brother Hagin's stories. There was a fellow that came to his, uh, service, little town he was having a, a meeting in. I think he was in Texas. And uh, this fellow came and received his healing. Now, the problem that he had was one of his feet, there was a, a deformity. He was born this way. There was a deformity of his feet, and one of his feet was turned in, so he was walking on the side of his ankle. Well, obviously, your feet or uh, your legs are unevenly matched that way, and so he had a big limp and, and that kind of thing, and he had to have special shoes that came up over the ankles so that he wouldn't literally walk on his ankle bone on the, on the, the concrete. And so he had a special pair of shoes made where the, the, I think it was his right foot where the right, uh, side came up and kind of created a sole that was right here on his, on his ankle bone so that he had some kind of cushion to walk on. But it was still real painful, as you could well imagine that that's not the way your foot's supposed to work. And so he said, uh, this guy came to the services and, and, uh, and over a period of time he was there for a couple of weeks, Brother Hagen said, and, uh, and this fellow received his healing. Right there in front of everybody, he had to come sit on the, on the chair on the platform in front of everybody, and everybody saw his foot just turn straight out. Straighten out just like that, walked out in front of everybody, started running, he had to take his shoes off, because now his shoes aren't right. They wouldn't fit him right. So he took his shoes off, started walking around through the service, running back and forth, and everybody just had a great, great, you know, time rejoicing with him. Well, it was either the next day or the day after. He comes back to the service, and he's walking on the side of his foot again and limping all the way in. And Brother Hagin said that he stopped as soon as, uh, uh, I don't know if they'd already turned the service over to him or not. I think he had, if I remember the story right. They'd already turned the service over to him, and so here he comes in late, and he sees him coming in like that, and Brother Hagin just stopped everything he was doing, changed the direction of his service, and he said, Hey, hey, brother, you, come, come down here. So he came down, sat him on the front row, and he said, What happened to you? And he said, Well, he said, for the last couple of days, he said, I've just been walking around. He said, everything's been going great. He said, I, everybody in town has seen what's happened and had a chance to tell them about the services going on here. He said, but this morning, I got out of bed and fell flat on the floor because my foot was turned in and I wasn't expecting it, so it caught me off guard. I fell flat on my face in the floor. And Brother Hagan said, and let me tell you what you did. You said... Here's Brother Hagen finishing the story for him. You said, or thought at least, you thought, "Well, I thought I was healed, but I guess maybe I'm not." His eyes got big, and he said, "Well, that's exactly what I thought." How do you know that? He said, "That's exactly what you had to think in order for this thing to get back on you." He said, "I want you to sit down here on the front row." He said to everybody else, "He said, I'm sorry. You're a, you're perfectly welcome to listen if you want to, but tonight's service is going to be to teach him how to keep us healing." So he did spent the whole service telling him, teaching him about how the devil attacks through your mind, tries to talk you out of what the Bible says is yours and what, in his case, he had already received. Spent the whole service teaching about how to keep your healing. He, that, uh, the teaching, not from that service that was many years later, but Brother Hagan has a little mini book on how to keep your healing. And I encourage whoever um, asked the question, go back to the bookstore and get one of those little mini books. How to keep your healing. Well, he said this. The guy came back. He was fine for the next uh, next several days, however long the meeting was going. But toward the end of the meeting, one of the last days of the meeting, he came in and he said, Brother Hagin, he said, may I testify? Interrupted the service to say, may I testify? And Brother Hagin said, well, yeah, sure, come on up, brother. Everybody knew who he was, knew what had happened to him and so forth. So he gave him a microphone and he said, I want everybody to know, if you were here the other day, Brother Hagin sat me down and taught me how to keep my healing." How many of you were here for that? Well, everybody raised their hand and said, yeah, 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 we were there. He said, I haven't had any trouble. It's been several days now, and I haven't had any trouble except this afternoon when I was walking downtown. He said, I was walking downtown on the sidewalk, minding my own business, and he said, all of a sudden, this thing came back on me. My foot turned in again. He said, I fell. It would have fallen down on the on the sidewalk, but I caught myself on the side of the bank. The wall of the bank that was right next to me. He said, I slid down that wall, took off my shoe, grabbed my foot in my hand, and screamed as loud as I could, No, you don't, Mr. Devil. I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. He said, I attracted quite a crowd. Everybody that was walking by stopped to see what was going on. He said, My foot turned right back out in a normal position again. And he said, And I declare in faith that I'll never have problems with it again. Well, last Brother Hagin had a count of him. Some years later, he's never had any trouble with it again. It comes down to this, folks. The devil will put on you and bring back to you whatever you'll accept. You have to make the determination what you will and will not have. Amen? Okay, question number three. Uh, I'm not sure I understand this question. How do you specifically pray? And any other hints for removing an attack by pestilence? I'm not sure what somebody means by pestilence. Does that just mean disease? Huh? Fleas? (laughs) Removing an attack by fleas? Uh, Well, um, may I suggest a flea bath? (laughs) I don't exactly know about fleas. Specifically, how do I pray? Uh, I pray the prayer of faith as the Bible directs. In Mark chapter 11, verse 24. See, here's something that people don't understand. And the reason they don't understand it is because the devil attacks us in different ways. It's always the same principle, but in different areas. See, for example, I've never really had a big attack of sickness in my life. Like I said, I've had a couple of injuries, but I've always been healthy as can be. So I've, I've never really had to deal with anything. I've had some minor things, and, and, and I've seen God do some, some great things. I tore the cartilage in my knee, and the doctor said, well, you're going to have to have surgery to repair it because cartilage doesn't repair. Well, I believe God and that cartilage grew back together. The x-rays show that there never was a tear, or look, it, it appears as if there never was a tear. Well, that was the most serious thing that I ever had to believe for. And so I could preach healing and I could talk about healing, but but from a personal experience, I had very little experience other than believing God for headaches and colds and flus and, you know, things that normally come against us. I think that's one thing that made Brother Hagin's healing ministry so outstanding is because he could relate to somebody no matter where they were because he was given up to die. But that doesn't mean that God only uses those people that have had those experiences. For example, Paul, for example, uh, said a lot of things that he never had experience with. He gave us a lot of insight into marriage. He never was married. He told parents how to raise their kids. Well, how does he know? He didn't know by personal experience. He knew by the revelation of the Holy Ghost. He knew by the direction of the Spirit of God. So you don't have to have an experience in something to be able to minister to somebody. If that was the case, I'd never be able to minister to somebody that's committed adultery. Wouldn't it be stupid for somebody to say, well, now I need to experience that so that I'll be able to relate to you? Well, how dumb can you get? But there are people that are that dumb. So I've never really had a, a, um, a major healing experience that's qualified me to teach healing. But instead, the call of God and the word of God is the thing that makes qualifications according to what God chooses. But I have been tempted and I have been attacked where finances were concerned. And so, people that have that have believed God for the healing, but never believed God for finances, they don't know how it works. Let me give you an example. John Lake never, ever, throughout his ministry, and with all the the hundreds of thousands of people that were healed, and I, I use that uh, that term carefully, that number carefully, because when he was had his healing rooms in Spokane, Washington, there were over five hundred thousand documented cases of healings. I'm talking about cases where people were healed and went back to the same doctor and the doctor pronounced them well. They would make people document the things. They would run the doctors down and go with them and say, you're the one that diagnosed this this condition. Now what I want you to diagnose this on this too. They were real specific about keeping records. And that doesn't even count the ministry they had in South Africa. And there were no telling how many people down there, probably more than were in Spokane, Washington, people that were healed I'm talking about. But to his last day... He never understood how to believe God for finances. Never. And he told the, the people that he was working with, he told other ministers about that. He said, I, I just never have been able to understand how to believe God for for finances. And it hindered him greatly. He had to come off the mission field in South Africa because of uh, untruths that were told about him back in the States, and it ruined his support. Well, why would a man of God that's used in such a great way not understand that faith works the same way in prosperity for prosperity that works in healing Well, a lot of people don't understand that a lot of people don't understand because they're relying on their experience they may have had an experience and their experience may have been more on god's end doing his thing than on you on your end doing your thing you see some people in jesus ministry that were healed that way you see a lot more well let me let me explain it like this if healing is a result of the measure of faith mixed with the power of God, those measures can be different from time to time. For example, there are times where Jesus healed the multitudes, and there are times where the woman with the issue of blood, for example, is the only one in the crowd that got healed. Well, you can't say that the, that the power of God was as strong when he uh, when the woman with the issue of blood received from him as it was when he was healing the multitudes. And usually when he had experiences like that where the multitudes were healed, it came as a result of an extended period of time of teaching. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that means the higher the level of faith, the greater the measure of the power of God. Sometimes it's great faith and little power that brings the results because God always answers faith. But sometimes it's great power and little faith involved that brings the results. That was the case in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus told the father, the problem is you don't believe. And he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's not real strong faith. But there was a great enough measure of power to bring about the results. So healing is always a result of the two things together, faith in whatever measure and power in whatever measure. Sometimes it's greater on one end than it is the other. Well, sometimes people have been healed on small faith and a great power of God in demonstration by this mercy. And they rely on their experience rather than rely on the truth of the word. They think, okay, I've seen people do this over and over again where healing school is concerned. They'll come and they'll want me to pray. And I'll say, okay, well, what are you believing for? Well, let me tell you about a time that several years ago when I got healed. And they'll tell me about some experience. And I know from what they tell me that it was just the mercy of God that brought them their healing. It wasn't anything having to do with their faith whatsoever because they didn't know what faith was. And But they think that's all we got to do again. It's going to work the same way. Well, it's not. God may do some things for you initially, but he expects you to grow up. So God may do some things on his end, initiated from his end, that don't require much, if any, faith at all. In some cases, there'll be a manifestation of the spirit of God, and no faith is necessary for that on the part of the individual. But you can't expect to get healed that way every time. So a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people don't understand that faith works the same in every arena. Faith works the same for finances, as it works for peace, as it works for healing, as it works for salvation, as it works for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, as it works for anything. And that is, you have to have a foundation of God's word, believe it in your heart, and say with your mouth, and hang on. So how do I pray specifically? I pray specifically what Mark eleven twenty four says. Jesus said, therefore, what things, soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, folks, I'm. um, Well, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I don't really care what you think about it. I know a lot of people that people that I went to school with, that they'll take a situation, a natural situation. That's going on in their in uh, not necessarily a situation where healing is concerned, but something that's going on in their life and they try to attack everything spiritually. I don't. I mean, wouldn't it be silly if I saw, if I woke up in the morning and realized that after wearing the shirt, this shirt today for the service, it needed to be laundered. Wouldn't it be silly if I prayed for it to get it clean? Instead of sending it to the cleaners. But I know a lot of people that do that. I know a lot of people that try to attack everything physically or spiritually rather when a lot of things can be dealt with physically. God gave me enough sense to send my shirts to the laundry. I don't have to pray about that. So there are some things that need to be dealt naturally, dealt with naturally rather than spiritually. People come to me and ask me all kinds of things. How do I handle this? And my first thought is, well, fix it. This is not something to pray about. This is something to fix. Does that make any sense? Faith um, uh, Faith is not a game of poker. Faith is not how well you can bluff. Faith is not a matter of going all in and now God's got to see you through. That's not what faith is. Faith is grabbing hold of the truth of God's word and standing upon it. And if you haven't grabbed hold of the truth of God's word, if you can't find a scripture that supports what you're trying to believe for, you're not in faith. You may have hope, and God sometimes responds to hope. God's mercy sometimes pulls people through when they're in hope and not in faith, and they think they believed it in. But it was just the mercy of God that did it. So that's how I pray specifically. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. I say, Father, I thank you. I believe I receive my healing in the name of Jesus. Thank you that it's done. Amen. That's it. I learned something from Brother Hagen a long time ago. He said, don't see how long you can pray about something. See how short you can pray. You ever got caught up in one of your long prayers? I've prayed some things and got on rabbit trails and forgot. Wait a minute. What am I praying about? (laughs) You don't have to explain everything to God. He knows who you are. Amen. Okay. Next question. What do you do when you're contending for something so hard that you've come to the end of yourself and it feels like you're going under. (laughs) I say, welcome to the club. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll start reading in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice the Bible doesn't say one word about you being strong in you. So many times people think, and again, they they've got a wrong notion about what faith is. They think faith means I've always got to be on top of the world. Well, okay, good luck with that. There, are sometimes I get discouraged. How about you? There, are sometimes I don't feel strong at all, and that's a good thing. I've learned something from Smith Wigglesworth on that. Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, "When I feel strongest in faith, that's when I'm the weakest, because then I'm relying on my feelings of strength." He said, but the time that I'm the strongest in faith is when I don't have anything to rely on except the truth of God's word. That helped me because there was a lot of times I was feeling down, feeling depressed, feeling like, Lord, I don't have anything to hang on to but your word. And it feels like I'm sinking and I felt condemned because that's the way I felt. But I came to realize that's the time when I'm the strongest in faith because all I've got is God and his word. And that's all you're supposed to have. That's what be strong in the Lord means. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, not yours. Not how strong you feel. Man, I'm so glad it doesn't depend on on me feeling strong. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I love this word wiles when I understood what it meant because it means the the, the traveling over. Literally, it means the traveling over. In other words, it's saying this. It's saying you need to put on the armor of God because there's one and only one road the devil travels. And that's the road to deception. It's the road to your mind. There's only one way that he can work against you, and that's through thoughts. Circumstances are designed to make you think certain things to influence you through your thoughts circumstances in and of themselves mean nothing because circumstances can change but they're designed by the enemy to make you think something contrary to God's word and look at how many times that that affects people we'll have people that come to healing school and say pastor Mike you prayed for me last Sunday but I went back to the doctor and he said something else has come up so and what's your problem well I just thought we'd need to pray again absolutely not we're not going to pray again. What's changed? Did God change because the doctor found something else? Of course not. Does God's word change because the doctor came up with something new? Absolutely not. We believed last week. We're going to believe tonight. We're going to believe tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And if the doctor finds something new every day from now on for the rest of your life, we're still going to believe the word. God's word sufficient. That's what being strong in the Lord means. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the traveling over of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is a wrestle, but it's not with flesh and blood. It's not with people. Well, then what do we wrestle against? We wrestle against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Oh, the devil's got a big organization. What does that matter? There's only one way he works against you. And that's by traveling over into your mind. So if you put on the whole armor of God, it doesn't matter whether the principalities, whether the powers, whether the rulers of darkness of this world, or if they're wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Doesn't matter. There's only one way he works against you. That's why you have to guard your mind. Wouldn't matter if the devil's top demon came against you. There's only one way he can work, and that's by bringing wrong thoughts to your mind. Don't ever be afraid of the devil, folks. The Bible, one of the scriptures in the Bible that has always intrigued me is it says at the end, when everything is over, this world is over and the devil is awaiting his judgment. It says that we who fought against him here on the earth will look upon him narrowly, the scripture says, and will say, is this the guy that caused all the trouble? Well, if that's what we're going to think when we can see him, why don't we get smart enough to think that now? So that we're not surprised when we get there. The devil's not nearly as big. And not nearly as bad as he tells you he is. That's why he's trying to tell you that. Because he's trying to influence your thoughts. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and against powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. How do we wrestle? In our thought life. Wherefore for this reason or for this cause, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. One translation says that you may be able to withstand when it, when evil attacks you. And having done all to stand, so there is something you have to do to stand. In other words, there's a preparation side and a standing side. How do you prepare yourself with the truth of the word? So that you can hold your mind steady when the devil is trying to bombard you with wrong and thought, wrong thoughts and thoughts of doubt. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, if you haven't done everything to stand, then, that, then that's your responsibility. You've got to do your part. Having done all to stand means to prepare yourself with the knowledge of God's Word so that no matter what happens, you know that you know that you know this is what God's Word says His will is for me. Having done all to stand, what do we do then? Stand therefore. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Have you done your part? If you have done all there is to do to prepare yourself to stand. And folks, it only takes one scripture to stand on. You can have 50, but it only takes one. And in fact, you'd be better off believing one than having 50 written down. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. So the question is, what do you do? When you're contending for something so hard and you've come to the end of yourself and it feels like you're going under, you stand. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. God never promised you you wouldn't feel like you're going under. And feeling like you're going under doesn't mean everything's lost. What's changed because you feel like you're going under? Nothing. Has God's word changed because you feel like you're going under? Nope. And it never will. Did the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus change because you feel like you're not going to make it? No, and it never will. What changes? The only thing that changes when we feel like we're going under is us and our thinking. So shore up our thinking by saying, wait a minute. Thank God it doesn't depend on what I think or what I feel, but the word of God says, by his stripes I was healed. So no matter how I feel, by his stripes I was healed. No matter what the doctor says, by his stripes, I was healed. No matter what comes tomorrow, by his stripes, I was healed. Whether I feel good tomorrow, whether I feel even worse tomorrow, by his stripes, I was healed. That's what it means to having done all to stand, stand there for. Anybody can stand when things are going good. It's easy to stand for prosperity when you've got a pocket full of the money. There's nothing to stand for there. It's when things don't look like they're going right. It's when things are going contrary to what the Bible promises That's when you have to stand up and say, I believe God. Paul said on the ship, after the angel appeared to him and told him what the result was going to be, he said, wherefore, sirs, I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. You need to commit that phrase to memory. Wherefore, sirs, I believe God, I believe that it shall be even as it was told me. That's having done all to stand stand therefore then you just have to hold your ground okay we've got time for maybe another one or two hi pastor mike hi how are you why does it seem why does it seem like we do not see the healings in this country that occur in foreign countries like africa china etc just wondering thank you it's a great question and it's an easy answer T.L. Osborne said, uh, and many of you don't know much about T.L. Osborne because there, there really hasn't been much published about, uh, about the early days of his ministry. In, uh, uh, in Well, his ministry put some things out, but not many people have access to that. T.L. Osborne was one of the healing revivalists, uh, evangelists, one of the first ones that was ever sent to the mission field. Most of the healing revival activities that took place was here in America, and he was one of the first ones that the Lord sent to another country. And, um, and the first country he went to, he came back just a miserable failure. Miserable failure. Came back, got in uh, somebody's service, and F.F. Uh, Bosworth's service, got filled with the Holy Ghost, found out about the foundation of the word, and went back and made a tremendous success. Now, I don't know if his numbers still hold true today, but at one time, maybe 20 years ago, T.L. Osborne had preached to more people face-to-face than anybody that's ever been alive. They have some people that are preaching to some big crowds in, in Africa nowadays and stuff like that. So that may that, that statistic may not be true anymore. But at one time in the not-too-distant past, it was true. And he's had miracles and signs and wonders. He's the first one that realized that you could pray for people in mass. Up until that point in time, everybody was laying hands on people individually, and you go to the mission field, and you got a half a million people in the crowd. It's impossible. You'll wear yourself out. You'll give out before the power of God does. And so he, he came to the realization one day that the power was in the name of Jesus, not in him laying hands on people. So he just prayed for the crowd and people started getting healed from every corner. People screaming out, demons coming out of people, legs straightening out and, and people throwing down crutches and stuff like that just because he prayed in mass. Well, that changed his ministry, too, and gave him the opportunity to to, uh, to minister to even more people than he had before. Well, news got back to the States about some of the things that were happening overseas. And uh and so some of the organization of the uh the um well it was the Pentecostal denomination, it was the Assembly of God. They had a convention in one year during the Healing Revival, and that from time to time they'd have some of these people come in. Some of them weren't part of the organization, some of them were, but they invited Brother Osborne to come in and uh, and share with them about the things that were going taking place in, in other countries. And T. L Osborne had one time been a part of the Assembly of God organization, he was not at that point in time, but he agreed to come, and so he came and he had to sit through all the business meetings and all the kind of stuff they do and some of the preliminary stuff because they got everybody together, you know, in one place and in the country and and uh, and that kind of stuff. And finally, they got to to his part of it and they asked him. They said, "Now, brother Osmond, we want you to tell us." What's going on in other countries? So he did. He started telling them about testimonies and healings and stuff like that. People's jaws were dropping to the floor. It's like they'd never heard anything like this before and uh, and that kind of thing. And and um, and one of the Assembly of God missions directors stood up after after he finished telling some of the testimonies. And he said, well, let me tell you what's going on in, in the mission field and and, and the, the, you know, our missionaries. And he said, we got a few people saved and a few people filled with the Holy Ghost. And that was, that was about it. And it was such a marked difference. They had this planned. It was such a marked difference. And they were so surprised. The people of the organization were so surprised that there was such a marked distinction between the results that he was getting, the miracles and so forth that he was getting and the results that they were getting on the mission field that they finally started asking and said, what's what are you doing that we're not doing? And he said this, he said, I've gone so I don't know how many countries it was at that time, maybe 20 countries at that point in time. He said, I've been to 20 different countries. And he said, here's what I found. He said, if I can beat you to the mission field, I can get miracles. He said, if I can go to a place that you haven't been yet, you haven't had the opportunity to tell people that, well, Jesus doesn't heal the same today as he did when he was here on the earth. And you can't expect the same kind of miracles that we read out about in the scripture. If, if I can get there before you do, I can get tremendous miracles. He said, but I found that the countries that I go to where you've already been there. I don't get results. Because you've told them not to expect much. You've told them that God's not going to heal everybody. You've told them that God's not going to perform miracles the way that he did in the book of Acts. You've told them that things have changed. The apostles have have all passed away. And so now it doesn't work that way anymore. And he said, I can't get results. Now stop and think about what he's saying. He's not any different from one country to the next. The call of God is not any different on him from one country to the next. He felt like he was sent to the places where the assemblies had already been just as much as the places that he'd been sent to they hadn't been. He never knew before he got there whether he was the first one there or not. He didn't know. No difference in him. No difference in God. What was the difference? The difference was they had planted the seeds of doubt. Now, let me tell you what ministering healing about is, is like in the States. Ministering healing, for the most part, unless God has somebody that is specially called, that has a special anointing for healing, or ministers in signs and wonders and stuff like that, most of the time, you're trying to convince people that healing belongs to them. That's why we do these questions and answers. Because we're trying to overcome the objections that people have been pounded with. Maybe all their lives. To overcome the wrong teachings... And the wrong doctrine that they've been taught to show them that the word of God really means what it says. During the healing revival, Brother uh, Hagen said that uh, Oral Roberts used to do a lot of statistical work. He'd follow up on people that have, uh, uh, you couldn't get in Brother Roberts' healing line until you'd been in a service for you know, three or four services, whatever it was, and then you had to have a card, and then they would only pray for you under certain conditions and that kind of stuff. Well, they'd get your name and your address and stuff, and so they'd follow up. And brother, uh, brother Roberts told brother Hagen personally. They became friends later in 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 their, in the, in their lives, long after the healing revival was over. But brother Osborne, uh, or brother Roberts, rather, told brother Hagen. He said, "We would always get the best results," or I'm sorry, "We always got the fewest results." with the denominational people. He said, we'd get maybe 10% of those people healed. 10% of the full gospel people, 10% of the Baptists, 10% of the others. But once we got through the denominational people, to people, just the heathens, people that hadn't been taught anything, he said, man, we'd get 90% of those people healed. And the reason that they knew is they followed up to find out, where did you come from? What's your church? What's your church affiliation and stuff like that? They found, according to Brother Robert's uh statistics and what he told Brother Hagen personally. He said we would get ten percent of the church people healed, but we'd get almost eighty five to ninety percent of the unchurched. Why? Because the unchurched don't have any wrong doctrine to unlearn. They don't have they couldn't care less about Paul's Thorn. They care about them. So that's why you don't get the same results. You can take people Reinhard Bonnke is a good example. Reinhard Bonnke goes to Africa and gets signs and wonders and miracles over there. He comes to America and he gets people saved. Now, you'll get some results, don't, I'm, I, and I don't mean that in a critical way whatsoever. I'm just pointing out the same thing as with Brother Osborne. You got the same guy with the same call and the same God. They get different results overseas than you get in America. Thank God he's here in America doing some evangelistic work. I'm glad he's doing it. I hope he breaks through some things and starts getting some of the same signs and wonders here in the States that he gets over there. But he may find the same thing that Brother Osborne's found. He may found that since people peddling doubt got here first, it may limit his results. Amen? Amen. Well, let's all stand. We're out of time. We won't go any further. Are these things helpful? All right. Well, good. Hope it was. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege to read your word, to study your word, to understand your word. Father, we thank you that your word is true. From cover to cover, we thank you that your word is true, that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes, we were healed. Therefore, we declare that our bodies belong to God. They were purchased by the blood of Jesus, just as real as our spirits were. We declare that we are healed by faith in Jesus name. No matter what attack of the enemy comes, no matter what circumstance arises, no matter what thought comes against our mind. We choose to stand on the truth of your word, Father, that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Everybody that agrees with that prayer, say amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great week.